Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling Reflect. And all throughout the series, we're going to talk about what it means for us as followers of Jesus to reflect the light of Christ in our lives. And we're going to start out in this episode by talking about why it's important for us to reflect the light of Christ into our world anyway. So let's get right into this episode sermon. In the book, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, the author, Robert Fulham, shares a story about something that took place during the final day of a conference he was attending in Greece. As Fulham explains, he was participating in the final discussion group of this conference, and as their discussion was coming to an end, the leader of his particular group went over and stood in the light of a nearby window. Then he turned back to his group and he asked them if they had any final questions. Well, Robert Fulham jokingly asked the discussion leader, What is the meaning of life? Everyone in the group got a good chuckle out of it, but they were soon gathering their things, getting ready to leave. But before they could, the discussion leader held up his hand, and he asked for silence, and he told the group that he would answer Fulham's question. From there, he reached down into his pocket, and he pulled out his wallet and removed a small circular mirror, about the size of a quarter. And then he told the group his story. He told them, That as a small child growing up during World War II, I lived in a pretty remote village. One day outside of our home, I found the fragments of a mirror that came from a German motorcycle that had wrecked in that place some time before. At first, I tried to find all of the pieces of that mirror so that I could fix it, but that task proved to be impossible. So instead, I kept the largest fragment, and scraping it against a stone, I made it round. Soon enough, that mirror became a toy for me, and I was fascinated by the fact that I could use that mirror to reflect light into the darkest places. So it became a game for me where I tried to use that mirror to reflect light into the darkest and most inaccessible places that I could find. As I got older, I continued to hold on to that mirror, and whenever I found myself having an idle moment, I would continue to play my game. But as I became a man, I finally understood that what I was doing was not just playing some childish game. Instead, this mirror became a metaphor for what I could do with my life. I realized that I am not the light, nor am I the source of the light. But the light, be it truth or understanding or knowledge, is still there. But the only way for this light to to reach into the darkest places around is if I reflect it. You see, I am just a fragment of a mirror, and I will never know the full design or the full shape of this mirror. But nevertheless, with what I have, with what I am, I can still reflect light into the darkest places. I can reflect light into the darkest of human hearts, and I can surely change at least some people. Perhaps other folks, when they look at me and they see what I'm doing, they will be inspired to do the same and reflect light into the world around them. This is what I do with my life. This is who I am. This is the meaning of my life. As followers of Jesus, I can't think of a better story to describe what it is that we are supposed to be. We are not the light and we are not the source of the light, but we are called to reflect the light of Jesus into the darkest places and in the darkest hearts in this world. We are supposed to be mirrors. 
We are supposed to reflect the light of Jesus in our lives. We are supposed to reflect the light of Jesus in our lives. And I was reminded of just how important it is for me to reflect the light of Jesus in my life not that long ago when I was looking back on some Facebook memories. And there was one memory in particular that stood out to me. This particular memory took place seven years ago when my daughter was just three years old. And we had apparently just finished up part of her regular bedtime routine, which at that point involved me reading her a couple of Bible stories. And then Ashley and I would tuck her in at night. Well, on this particular night, um, Hannah apparently wanted to recap these Bible stories for her mom. And when she finished up, Ashley asked our daughter, she said, Hannah, what does Jesus teach us? My daughter furrowed her little eyebrows, and she thought about that question for a minute. And then she answered, and she said, Jesus teaches us to be polite, to listen, and to watch cartoons. That's right. She said that Jesus teaches us to be polite, to listen, and to watch cartoons. Now, at first, I thought that this was just another case of kids saying the darndest things. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this was Hannah's way of explaining how Ashley and I were reflecting Jesus in our lives and through our lives to our daughter. Here's what I mean. Even when Hannah was just three years old, she already knew that her daddy worked at church. And she knew that our family goes to church and we worship God every Sunday. And she knows that we love God and that we love Jesus. So when Ashley asked her, what does Jesus teach us? Hannah figured out that her mommy and daddy were teaching her the same things that Jesus wants her to know. And at three years old, we spent a whole lot of time talking with Hannah about being polite and listening because those are vital lessons that every preschooler needs to learn. And when she was three years old, there were few things in this world that Hannah liked more than being able to snuggle up on the couch with one of her parents and watch an episode of Paw Patrol or Doc McStuffins. So when Hannah told us that Jesus is teaching us to be polite and to listen and to watch cartoons, it was her way of explaining the Jesus that Ashley and I were reflecting in our lives and through our lives to her. Or to put it another way for you, Hannah's answer to that question was my daughter's way of saying that she sees Jesus through me. Now, that last sentence alone is enough to remind me of the classic B.B. McKinney hymn, Let Others See Jesus in You. Now, B.B. McKinney is the same guy who gave us such other great songs as Have Faith in God or Wherever He Leads I'll Go. So you know the words to let others see Jesus in you are going to be meaningful. But let me take just a second and remind you of how a couple of verses from this hymn go. Here's how it starts. It says, While passing through this world of sin, let others see Jesus in you. Be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? Now that second line of that hymn, it helps me remember something that one of my youth ministers loved to say when I was growing up. This youth minister was always telling us, always trying to teach us, that your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. Your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. Now take just a second and think about what that statement says. Your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. So if your life is the only Bible that your kids will ever read, 
Will they see Jesus in you? If your life is the only Bible that your neighbors will ever read, will they see Jesus in you? If your life is the only Bible that your co-workers will ever read, will they see Jesus in you? If your life is the only Bible that the cashier at Kroger or the person sitting behind you in traffic will ever read, will they see Jesus in you? Now, those aren't exactly easy questions for us to think about. But these are the kind of questions that inspired the book of the Bible that we're going to be taking a closer look at throughout this sermon series as we think about what it means for us to reflect the light of Jesus in and through our lives. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a closer look at the book of James. Now, like most of the books that we find in the New Testament, the book of James is a letter. But unlike the other letters that we find in the New Testament, the book of James isn't written to a specific church that was living in a specific city. No, instead the book of James is actually written to Christians, followers of Jesus that were scattered all over the place. And that's the way that this letter works because James wanted followers of Jesus and anyone that would read his letter to understand that followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. Followers of Jesus aren't supposed to be like everyone else. And followers of Jesus aren't supposed to be like everyone else because we belong to Jesus. So this is the way that James explains it to us in the first chapter of his letter. We'll start looking at James chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what James writes. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, in verse 18 of the passage that we just read, James uses a rather unusual analogy for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. In verse 18, James calls anyone who is a follower of Jesus the first fruit of all that God has created. But what in the world are first fruits? Well, even though we may not exactly be familiar with what first fruits are, this term actually appears 33 times in the Bible. And you can find it everywhere from Exodus all the way to Revelation. But what exactly are first fruits? Well, they are offerings that the people of Israel were expected to bring to the tabernacle and later to the temple. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 10, we're told why the people of Israel were expected to bring these particular offerings with them when they came to the tabernacle or to the temple. So here's what we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 26. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, when you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you have taken possession of the land and settled in it. 
Take some of the first fruits of all you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priests in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. So what are the first fruits? Well, the first fruits are more than just a particular offering that the people of Israel were expected to bring to the tabernacle and then later the temple. The first fruits were really a reminder for the people of Israel of everything that God had done for them. I mean, as the passage that we just read pointed out, God had saved the people of Israel from a severe famine. God had delivered and freed the people of Israel from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And God had brought the people of Israel to the land that God had promised for them and for their ancestors. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. So when James writes and he calls us as followers of Jesus to be these first fruits, what James is telling us is that we need to show the world what Jesus has done for us. We need to reflect the light of Jesus in our lives. And why do we need to reflect the light of Jesus in our lives? Why do we need to show the world what Jesus has done for us? Well, if we are indeed the first fruits of all that God has created, that implies that there will be more fruit in the kingdom of God. And that's really the beauty of what offering these first fruits meant for the people of Israel. I mean, stop and just think about it for just a minute. Okay, these first fruits are the very first things that the people of Israel have harvested each season. That means that they have gone through months of winter without having anything grown or harvest on their land. And then, when the spring rolls around, they go out into the fields and they work the fields. They sow, they plant, they till, they do everything that they can. And then after weeks, they go back out into the fields with sickles in their hands and they harvest what has grown. And what do they do with the very first things that have grown from their land in months? Well, most of us, we take it, we'd sit down at the table and we would enjoy having something fresh instead of living off of the canned goods that we have left over from the winter. But that's not what the people of Israel do. No, the people of Israel, they take what they have harvested. They put it into a basket. They go to the tabernacle. They go to the temple. And they offer it to God. And why do they do that? They offer these first fruits because they believe that the first fruits will not be the last fruit. The first fruits will not be the last fruit. 
And by offering these first fruits to God, what the people of Israel are showing is that they trust that God has more in store for them. Because if they believe that the first fruit would be the only thing that they harvest every year, there is no way that the people of Israel would bring that as an offering to God. No, they would keep that first fruit so that they could feed themselves and they could feed their families for the months to come. And we, as followers of Jesus, we believe the same thing. We believe that God has more in store for the kingdom of God than just the first fruits as well. We believe that the field is white unto the harvest. And that means that the first fruits will just be the beginning of a great harvest that still needs to be brought in. But that harvest will never be brought in. Other people will never begin their relationship with Jesus unless we remember that the only way that others see Jesus is through us. And we all knew that already. We all knew that already. We know that the only way that other people will come to Jesus is if they are led. We have heard that message preached over and over again. But just because we have heard that message doesn't mean that we do much about it. And sadly, when we try to do something about it, far too often we end up trying to make Jesus a reflection of us instead of the other way around. And if you don't believe me, just think about all of the hateful things that you have heard Christians say or seen Christians do. Now this is why James told us back in the passage that we read earlier in the sermon that we can't just be hearers of the word and deceive ourselves into thinking that that's what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. No, we also have to put that word into action. We have to be doers of the word as well. Now when I look at my life, I have to admit that I'm not always the best doer of the word. I don't always do the best job of reflecting Jesus in my life. There are times when I lose my patience. There are times when I lose my temper. There are times when I let tasks take priority over other people. But when I think back to that Facebook memory, and I'm reminded of the fact that not only did Hannah see Jesus in me when she was three years old, but my daughter continues to see Jesus through me no matter how old she gets. I've got to tell you, that makes me want to be a better reflection of Jesus. That makes me want to make sure that Jesus is at the core of who I am in everything that I do. That makes me want to be the first fruit in what God has created so that my daughter can be the next fruit and can have her own relationship with Jesus too. And there's somebody in your life that you want to be the next fruit as well. It might be your child or your grandchild. It might be a nephew or a niece. It might be an old neighbor or a new coworker. But there is somebody in your life right now that you want to be the next fruit. Somebody in your life right now that you want to have a relationship with God for themselves. But that's not going to happen unless they see Jesus in you. So as we get ready to finish up the sermon... I want you to remember that the only way that others will see Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. The only way that others will see Jesus is if they see Jesus in you. So reflect the light of Jesus in your life. And in the weeks to come, we're going to spend time talking about what we can all do to make sure that we are a better and more accurate reflection 
of who Jesus is. But today, today I want you to remember why it matters. It matters that you reflect the light of Jesus because you're the first fruit and there are other fruit waiting to be harvested. But those people will never come to a relationship with Jesus unless they see Jesus in you. So reflect Jesus in your life, through your life, so that others can see Jesus in you. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we are challenged by what we have heard today, God. We have been challenged by this reminder that we are all just a fragment of a mirror. And even though we don't know the full shape or design of this mirror, God, we are still all challenged to reflect your light into the darkness of this world and into the darkness of other people's hearts, God. But God, when we look at ourselves, we have to admit that we're not the greatest reflection. We don't always do the best job of letting your light shine through our lives, God. So convict us. Challenge us, God. Inspire us to do a better job of reflecting your light into this world so that we may be the first fruit, but so that other people can be the next fruit. Let others see Jesus in us so that they will begin a relationship with Jesus too. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has shown you why it is so important for you to let the light of Christ reflect from your life into this world. And it's because no one, no one else will come to a relationship with Jesus if they don't see Jesus through the lives of those of us who follow him. So let the light of Christ reflect through you and out into this world. Now, in our next episode, we're going to start spending some time talking about how we can make sure we're being a more accurate reflection of who Jesus is. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you don't have to wait for next Tuesday for another episode to drop. You can come and worship with us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.